This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you doing today? Doing well. It's New Year, new me, working on a lot of things, looking inward. I'm really excited about our show today because it kind of dives into that a little bit and doing some self-care. Yes, self-care is always on the menu, at least it should be. And uh, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head with, with the direction that we want to take this show today. And we are very pleased to speak with our guest, and that is Dr. Dan Lieberman who is a clinical professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at George Washington University and also author of the book Spellbound, Modern Science, Ancient Magic, and the Hidden Potential of the Unconscious Mind. Dr. Lieberman, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to be here. I'm very excited to t- dive into this. I've I've read a bit of the book, Spellbound. I'm really excited to share that with our audience today, Dan. So talk to us a little bit. We're going to do some of the basics here so we don't give away the whole book. But what is the unconscious? What is the unconscious mind? The unconscious mind is the part of the brain that we don't control. It does all kinds of things in our daily life in the background. And most of the time, we don't really give it much thought. It's responsible for regulating our heart rate, secreting hormones into our bloodstream, but it's also responsible for things like emotions, desires, passions, and all of the things that happen to us that we really have absolutely no control over. That is really interesting. Is this the unconscious mind? Is this part of the decisions that I'm making every day? You know, I go through day and day out of life and I make decisions, whether they're good or bad. And is the unconscious mind a part of what I'm doing every day and making the decisions that I make? I think that what the unconscious mind does is it creates the environment in which those decisions are made. So, for example, When we make decisions, we do it with regard to a goal. We do it to achieve something that we want. But who is it that's determining what it is that we want? We have no control over our desires. They may be wonderful desires, love for our family, desire to have a career, or they could be terrible desires, falling in love with someone who is destructive for us, or wanting things that are just going to bring us misery. The unconscious mind is responsible for that, and the decisions that we make have to somehow cope with um, what we're presented with. So as we think about life, we start as infants. There, There's unconscious mind as an infant, I, I assume, uh, and you go through adulthood. What does this evolution of the unconscious mind and, um, and, and thinking about self-actualization and, and moving in the direction of, you know, further in your life, how do you evolve um, and how does your unconscious mind evolve in all these stages of life as you age? Human beings are strange creatures. We are this often uncomfortable combination of the rational and the animal. The unconscious is the animal uh, instinctual part of our brain. 
And when we're born, that's all we have. Uh, we have not yet developed the ability to deliberate, to think about things, to apply the rationality of our mind. That actually develops very, very slowly. Um, even when we reach teenage years and our young 20s, we still have not developed our consciousness fully because the brain cells in our frontal lobes, uh, that's where we deliberate and make rational decisions, have not yet fully developed. Uh, it really doesn't happen until our mid to late 20s. So when we're young, the goal uh, is really to develop this conscious deliberation, to be able to get some control over our instincts, um, something that children you know, often don't have. They act impulsively. They act without thinking. And that task of really getting control of the instincts is a difficult one. And that's the task of youth. So when you are in your youth stages, you're learning the difference between unconscious and conscious mind. Help me understand a little bit. What is the bridge of both the unconscious and conscious mind? And, and where is that boundary? And, at, and when do you start developing um, in, in, in those stages of life to really understand the differences? One of the risks that we face is being overcome by our unconscious minds. Mm -hmm. um, we can be overcome by emotion. Uh, so for example, we can fly into a rage and say things that we regret for years, uh, things that hurt the ones we love the most. We might um, smash things that are prized possessions. This kind of behavior being overcome by forces that we don't really have control over happens a lot uh, when we're young. Uh, we make impulsive, bad decisions without really thinking about them. So the unconscious mind is always there. Mm -hmm. it, it's always pushing at us with impulses and emotions, um, with thoughts coming into our head unbidden. And what the conscious mind needs to do is practice its fundamental goal, and that is awareness. Mm -hmm. We've got to be aware of all of these things that the unconscious mind is throwing at us. And we, learn to, we need to learn to be able to tolerate them, to experience them, but not act on them unthinkingly. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to uh, retain the decision-making capacity. I can imagine that's not always easy to do because the unconscious is not always a good thing is what I'm hearing. You know, sometimes you make decisions with your gut. They're not always conscious, but they aren't always the best. How do you trust these decisions as you move towards individualism and transcendence? And is it, it's very difficult to accept that for in, in thinking about myself, that part of my mind is out of my control with the forces that are around it. How, how do you go about accepting that um, and, and kind of controlling what you can? So... You know, the unconscious mind in some ways is part of nature, like the wind and the rain. Uh, it's amoral. It is neither good nor bad. It's both, and it's powerfully both. Uh, nature can be powerfully good with its beauty, uh, the fertility of the earth that keeps us all alive, but it can be powerfully bad too. Storms wiping out cities, uh, earthquakes and wild animals uh, killing people. So we talked a little bit about the dangers of the unconscious, how it can overwhelm our rational, deliberate decision-making. 
it also can do wonderful things for us. It has half a million times more processing power than the conscious mind. And we can get a taste of uh, just how potent this is when we experience things like intuition or inspiration. Oftentimes when we are faced with a very difficult problem, a problem that's got tons of variables and is going to have a huge impact on our life, we can't reason our way through the problem. And so what do we say? We say, let me sleep on it. Mm. We are going to allow our unconscious mind to do the work for us. And many times when we wake up in the morning, we've got this intuition or gut feeling of what the right answer is. Even more powerful is inspiration. Uh, sometimes an amazing idea comes into our head that solves a seemingly intractable problem or, or changes our life. What happens to scientists and artists, it can even change the entire world. So the unconscious mind can do wonderful things. It can do terrible things. And I think that what we need to do is get to know it in a way not so different from how we would get to know a friend. This will allow us to work with it when it's putting forth some of its more dangerous activity and also to trust it when it's giving us these wonderful blessings of intuition and inspiration. We're having a fascinating conversation with Dr. Dan Lieberman. He's the clinical professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at George Washington University and also author of the book Spellbound. We're going to continue our conversation with him right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Hey, if you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to go online to transitionslifecare.org. There's plenty of resources available to you, information about what's going on in your community as well, transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and our guest on the line today is Dr. Dan Lieberman, and he is a clinical professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at George Washington University, and we've been having a conversation about self-actualization and individualization and the unconscious mind. And uh, Dan, you're also the author of the book Spellbound, Modern Science, Ancient Magic, and the Hidden Potential of the Unconscious Mind. And Mary, I think that's where we need to go next. Ancient magic, that sounds interesting to me. Yeah, Dan, tell us, what is the connection? We've been talking about the unconscious mind. Where does the ancient magic come into all of this? One of the things that we tend to do is uh, called projection. We project unconscious contents onto our environment and then deal with it as if it were real. And let me give you an example. Um, imagine that you are on the beach at sunset. The sun is sinking into the waves and you're seeing the beautiful reds and golds and grays and blues of the sky. You hear the sound of the surf pounding on the sand 
And imagine the kinds of feelings that's going to evoke. Now, if I were to ask you what is causing those feelings, you would say the beauty of the sunset. But really, that's just a bunch of photons, uh, vibrations <laughs> in the air from the sound of the pounding surf. Where the feeling is really coming from is from your unconscious, and it is being projected onto the sunset. Now, now what, what does it look like when the unconscious is projected? Well, remember, the unconscious is half a million times more powerful than the conscious mind. So we've got a very powerful entity here. It's amoral. It can be incredibly good. It can be incredibly bad. And it tends to get projected as supernatural creatures. If we look at ancient traditions of the supernatural, the gods and goddesses of pagan societies, what we're really seeing are personifications of unconscious projections. Um, human beings understand things best in a social context. And mm -hmm. so we tend to personify things we come in contact with a great deal. And so it is these ancient traditions of magic that in many ways gives us the most complete and the most sophisticated understanding of the unconscious mind. Wow, that's very interesting. The other part of the title of your book is more modern science. What is the science versus magic, modern versus ancient? Where did these concepts start? I, I understand this is not a new thing and is something that um, has been around for a while. So talk to us a little bit about the overlap and also the differences of these. Yeah, you know, the brain is... Um, the most complex organ in the body. Some say it's the most complex structure in the entire universe. And as a result of that, our understanding of it is very much in its infancy. Mm -hmm. We are able to do some absolutely fascinating things with brain scans. And we're also able to learn a lot about the unconscious through psychological experiments. But really what we're going to be looking at are some very basic, simple behaviors, because that is as far as our science has gotten with the tools that are available to us to date. Looking at these ancient traditions, traditions that arose spontaneously um, and have been modified over the years, uh, over thousands of years by millions of people, this gives us, in my opinion, a much more interesting and probably a much more useful understanding. Now, now to really appreciate the connection between the unconscious mind and supernatural ideas or magic, I think it's helpful to just look at it in ourselves in everyday life. Uh, for example, we have the tendency, our brains do this naturally as a result of evolution, to attribute sentience to inanimate objects. And so um, I used to have this car that uh, refused to start in the morning most of the time. <laughs> and before I turned the key, I would talk to a little bit. I I'd say, you know what? I really need you to start today. Please, please, please. <laughs> um, right? Uh, or if the uh, copy machine is uh, acting up, I, I just want to give it a good slam. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I might say to myself, oh, you know, I don't really believe it's sentient, but something inside of me does. Mm -hmm. That's why I have the urge to give it a slam. Uh, I think superstition is another good example. Um, most people are superstitious to some degree. It tends to come out 
in situations where the stakes are high and we don't have a lot of control. So for example, an exam, a job interview, uh, people might wear a lucky shirt. Um, they may wear a lucky piece of jewelry. Athletes tend to be quite superstitious. Athletes are more superstitious than the general population and professional athletes are more superstitious than amateurs and elite athletes are the most superstitious of all. And I think it's worth asking why. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, think about, think about some amazing athlete like Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Every time he goes out on the court, he's going to do some pretty impressive stuff. But he's not always going to give a great performance. He's not always going to give what we call an inspired performance. Only his unconscious mind can decide whether or not that's going to happen because the unconscious is responsible for muscle coordination. Mm. Now, he can't control that directly, but he may be able to influence it indirectly. And superstitious rituals is one of the things that actually works. There have been laboratory experiments that show that um, when you give somebody uh, a lucky ball, uh, they perform better than somebody who's given the exact same ball but told that it's an ordinary ball. (laughs) So thinking magically is what our brain is wired to do. We're often embarrassed about it. We often resist it. But that's a mistake. You shouldn't resist your own biology. That is really interesting, especially as something to think about as we go in the Super Bowl. I definitely have a lucky jersey. Uh, it's, you know, fly, Eagles, fly. <laughs> Jason, you're laughing. You know you've got something. I, I, I do not have a, a lucky jersey. Uh, this, I, I'm a bad sports fan, so, you know, I think they would encourage me not to wear anything that I consider lucky. That makes sense. Um, so I, I want to kind of talk here as we age. Um, we have a lot of caregivers and um, listeners on the call, and we are Aging Matters radio, so, um, who are aging and thinking about how they have evolved and maybe looking back at their life and where they are now taking care of somebody um, or in retirement. Uh, in the second half of your life, I see this evolution and, you know, transcendence. Can you talk to us about these later stages and looking back and some of your unconscious decisions, how do you recognize the influence and also make it work for you? Things change in our relationship with our unconscious in the second half of life as we age. You know, consciousness arises out of unconsciousness. Uh, Animals, aside from human, are unconscious. um, And and somehow during our evolution, that consciousness began to come out. So in some ways, we can think about the relationship between the consciousness and the unconscious almost like a child and a parent. Uh, the first task of the child is to establish an independent identity. And and that's the case with consciousness. Uh, We've got to free ourselves from being completely controlled by our biological urges and instincts. And as we mentioned, that tends to happen around the late 20s and early 30s. Once our consciousness, which psychologists refer to as the ego, Once the ego has established that strong, independent identity, something magical can happen. It can start to go back and start to unify with the unconscious mind, but in a very different way. Since it has a strong, independent identity, it's not going to be overwhelmed by the unconscious, 
a partnership is going to form. And it's the formation of that partnership that leads to wonderful, wonderful things. For one thing, it makes us who we truly are. When we act completely unconsciously, we're acting on instinct, and, and that doesn't make us an individual. When we act completely consciously, in some ways, we're just playing a role. You know, I, I have a role of a psychiatrist, and, and I, I consciously decide how I'm going to act, what I'm going to say. I sort of put on a professional mask, and, and that's a useful, important thing for me to do as a professional, but it's not my true self. So exclusive unconscious, exclusive ego, these are not individuated. These are kind of part of the mass. It's only when the two of them come together that we become who we truly are as an individual and something wonderful called transcendence can happen. Wonderful. Uh, Dan, you've got us thinking about a lot, or maybe you've got us unconsciously <laughs> thinking about a lot. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a lot, but it's, it's really cool. And it's things that uh, I think, you know, if, if we can harness these tools and this way of thinking that it can, it can really help us out a lot. He is Dr. Dan Lieberman, clinical professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at George Washington University. Dan, tell us how we can find Spellbound. Where can we get a hold of that? Uh, you can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and um, probably your nearest bookstore. Wonderful. Again, the book is Spellbound, Modern Science, Ancient Magic, and the Hidden Potential of the Unconscious Mind. Thank you so much, Dr. Dan Lieberman, for your time. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680. WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas representing Transitions Life Care, and we've got a, a great subject that we're going to approach now. We're going to be talking about dementia and uh, the concept of sundowning. And to do that, we are very happy to have on the show Tipa Snow. She is founder of Positive Approach to Care and also author of Understanding the Changing Brain. And we're going to be having a, a deep discussion about this, Mary. Yes, I. it is something that um, it, it, is, it comes up quite often in conversations with caregivers um, who are um, caring for someone who's living with dementia. And, um, you know, I recently heard of it with my dog, um, I, who knew dogs have dementia and also sundown. And, um, you know, she's been up all night and now I am understanding a lot more. Um, but I, I want to do a deep dive into sundowning. We hear about it quite often. It, it is exhausting for caregivers. Um, so Tipa, let's just start with the basic. What is sundowning and why does this occur? Okay. So <laughs> we used to truly believe it was simply because as the sun went down, people had a reaction to the sun going down. And it turns out, well, yeah, that is 
little piece of it because as daylight turns to night, our brains tend to think, well, I'm supposed to leave here and go somewhere. And the place I'm supposed to go to is a safe place. But the main thing is I'm not supposed to be here. This is not where I'm supposed to be anymore. What we now realize is there's also parts of it that have to do with brain chemistry. And as I use up all my chemicals in my brain, I'm running out of chemicals. And so my brain is less skillful, less competent, less able, and I get more easily stressed and distressed. And so the place that used to feel familiar and comfortable isn't. The people that I'm with aren't the people I want to be with. The stuff I'm doing doesn't make sense. And often in that moment, my brain will pull out a card that says, ah, this is what you're supposed to do. This is where you're supposed to be. And this is who you're supposed to be with. And it's fake. <laughs> it truly isn't true. But your brain believes it. So that phenomena of having your brain fritz on you, and I've got to get out of here. I can't stay here. Get me out. And I may not even have as many words as I had earlier. And all I want to do is I'm getting frantic. No, let me out. I can't get me out of here. I've got to go home. I've got my mom. I've got, I've got to take care of the kids. And and it can feel so, because it's not how I was. And it's so distressing to a care partner who's trying to Mom, this is your home. You know, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you talking about? No, you can't go. It's 2 a.m. Because this doesn't stop when the sun goes down. Then it goes off and on into the evening. So, Mary, what's your what's your take on that? Because that's, that's my experience after years and years and years. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's it. Those are all really great points and, and definitely how, you know, I, I have felt before. Can you talk to us about some of the signs that caregivers should look for that someone is sundowning, you know, signs and symptoms of it and, uh -huh. and things that maybe could trigger in your head, oh, this is exactly what this is, just so, you, you know, caregivers can kind of start wrapping their heads around that. Yeah, so what we're going to start noticing is a change in how people are looking around, how people are sounding and talking and taking in verbal data, or what they're doing and how they're doing it. Or we'll start recognizing disengagement and that repetitive sort of pattern of so so when am I gonna when I, when can I go home mm -hmm. I, I've to notice the disengage and increase in anxiety um, so the anxiety starts kicking up so we start seeing patterns and we want to try to catch it before we get to pacing pacing is a back and forth mm -hmm. we might see looping where the person will go around and they'll check out and they'll go around but they're not settled or if they can't physically move a lot we start seeing them using their hands and touching their faces and glancing around and 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 and, and, and not being able to sort of that stuttering speech or no wait i need to i need to find out something or can i call i need to call so this they start to make statements of i need to i want to this isn't right um, so those are all indicators that uh oh we're uh, this is no longer feeling like a safe place, a harbor. I'm no longer feeling like somebody who's who's comfortable. I'm, I'm starting to feel like a jailer or a controller. Um, the person is showing evidence that, uh-oh, we got a problem, Houston. And it's mm -hmm. picking up on that as early as you can. Mm -hmm. 
I think that, you know, at, at early is, is good to start picking up on these things. As someone, as a loved one who is um, who has dementia starts to get further down in, into the dementia, um, what is some visual cues as a caregiver? What are some of those visual cues you can look for as communication becomes more complicated? Yeah. So what I'm, what I could be looking for is when you ask something or you try to engage, they disengage from you. Mm -hmm. So they don't know, no, leave it alone. Just leave. So you notice a change in tone of voice, Mm -hmm. or you might notice the rocking and the trying to get up when they haven't been doing that. So you notice a change in um, physical level of not being comfortable, or you notice that they're they're doing things with their hands and often the hands and the mouth oh 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 my oh my i've got a mm-hmm. i can't i you know so you see a seeking so seeking with the eyes or seeking with body or not settled um or, and sometimes grinding your teeth or or smacking or i i've got a call i've got a i've got a shuffling papers or fiddling folding in an intensity so maybe they folded towels earlier, but now it's creasing and creasing and, and and not watching the TV. And it could be tuning out or really hyper-focused on, do you see that boy over there? He, he need, You need to call the police. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whoa, what are we talking about here? Mm-hmm. So it could be intensity sometimes. That's, that's definitely, you know, one of my favorite things that my grandmother had when she was going through um, some of these things that you're talking about is the activity mat. Um, she had the, the uh-huh. zip, a zipper uh-huh. and a, um, a little handkerchief that was sewn onto the mat and buttons. And um, she was she was a folder. She loved to fold things. Everything uh-huh. was being folded. Uh-huh. There's always little piles of towels around. <laughs> Kleenex. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Dirty napkins, whatever she found. But the intensity of the folding will typically go up, like really pressing the seams and, and really, or you can't get her to fold. And normally she would fold, but that's not happening anymore. Mm-hmm. Nope. Nope. I'm done with that. And so there's either a not being able to engage or the intensity goes up. And that's usually a really strong indicator. Ooh, we're right on the edge of distress. That is a great point. So what can, before we go to break real quick, I want to touch on this last question. What can you do as these things start to happen to help reduce some of the stress and keep uh, your loved one engaged? Yes. Step one, we need to take a really deep, hard breath and blow it out. (laughs) As soon as we see it, our brain starts going, oh, no, here we go again. We take the breath in, but then we panic with it and we don't let go. Mm -hmm. Okay. It looks like we're about to hit our moment. Ooh, and then that ooh moment where I'm going to come up with something and I've got a, I want a laundry list. I want to come up with at least five on my list and I may want to post them on the side of the refrigerator or in the kitchen in the bedroom so that I have them visibly present for me because in that moment, my brain is already going to a, oh no, 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 <laughs> please don't do this. And instead I need to look and see, okay, so what's my risk? Response, not my reaction, but my response when this is starting to happen. Well, how can I respond in an effective way? Mm-hmm. And step one is breathing. And then the step two is going, oh, mom, or oh, Mary. Now, what do you hear on the end of my, my what was the ooh when I went, oh, Mary? 
Oh, like pause, freaking out. Pause. Excitement. Excitement. Yeah. There's a pause. It's like there's some energy there. Mm-hmm. So it's not a negative energy. It's not, mm-hmm. oh, Mary, Mary, which right, tells right. you, oh, I'm worried. <laughs> Here we go. Or oh, Mary, disappointed. So it's the tone of voice and the energy that you're putting out. And so it's like, oh, Mary. Because what I'm signaling is, oh, I've got something new. And so it draws your, it's called the reticular activating system. It's the part of your brain that's always looking around. Something good, something bad, something good, something bad. And I already know you're moving towards the something bad. And I want to catch you and see if I can bring you to the something good. Oh, Mary. And then I've got to change place, person, or what we're doing, programming, mm-hmm. or a prop. So I've got to make one of my four P's. There's five, which is what are the possibilities, but I've got to think of my P's. I want to think of my P's like, okay, so I'm stuck with me. I'm the only one here. Um, okay, so we could change places. Oh, hey, Mary, come here. I need your help for just a second. So rather than you being in the same place, we're going to move to a new space. Now, it may just be another room. It may be something, but I've got something set up there to catch your eye. And by moving to a new room, I actually trick your hippocampal area, which is your memory and learning center, Mm -hmm. into resetting itself. And that may also be, let's get your coat on. I need to go outside. I want to check on something. We actually go through the outside door and go out of the building that we're in. Because for some people, that's a stronger signal that we're going somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Really good stuff. Oh, Tipa. (laughs) <laughs> we have to take a break real quick. We're speaking with Deepa Snow. She is founder of Positive Approach to Care and author of Understanding the Changing Brain. And we're going to continue our conversation with her right after this. So grab your coat and come with us. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, our guest on the line, is Tipa Snow. Tipa is founder of Positive Approach to Care, and she's also author of Understanding the Changing Brain, and we're having a discussion on sundowning and dementia. And Tipa, just before the break, um, you had given us the P's, the, uh, a bunch of words that start with the letter P. Can you can you go over that again, and we, let's expound on that a little bit more? Yeah, so switching a place, switching a person, like switching people out, switching out programming. What are you trying to do? What is the person doing? So a different activity. Uh, And then the last one is props. What is available, visual, uh, physical, uh, auditory? What are the things, the props that you could be using? What's being used and what could we use? So switching and changing something because what I say is what we're trying and what we're doing doesn't seem to be working. That is really, those are very helpful in thinking about how you approach uh, this situation. So ha- talk to us a little bit more about what we can do with these peas. 
Yeah. So the first one, if somebody still has language and they're still trying to communicate with you, like, listen, I, I, got, I can't stay here anymore. This is even my house. I need to get home. I need to validate that I got their message. Oh, wow. So this isn't where you stay. You need to get back to the place that you stay. So this isn't it for you. Wow. And I thought we were staying here. Huh. Wow. Well, that's a surprise. Mm-hmm. So sounds like here is not an okay place. And it's like, boy, I need to hear that message because it's like, this is your home. Mm-hmm, <laughs> Wait, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? You've lived here for 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? And rather than trying to get you to understand this is your home, because in that moment, you don't have the brain chemistry. And it's not, I mean, you could try it, but all it does is result often in an argument and more emotion in a negative direction and more of a commitment. To, I got to get out of here. Um, so in that moment, I can try shifting things. So none of this looks familiar to you. Wow, that's horrible. I, now, you know, because I thought we were going to stay here today and then maybe go tomorrow to see if you can buy time. But if you can't, then it's tell you what, let's get your coat on. Then let's get out of here because I thought this is where we were staying and you're telling me it isn't. That's called validation. So that's the first thing I got to validate. And then I've got to investigate. Like, will leaving this space help me out? Is that enough? Is just getting the coat on, getting out in the car, going for a ride, is that going to do it? Mm-hmm. Or is it something more than that? Mm-hmm. Um, and i got to be willing to try something. <laughs> if what I'm doing isn't working, then I've got to try something different. And that's the hardest part for many of us. It's like, but I don't want to go out and get in the car. It's cold. All right, well, let's see what happens when she gets out there and it's cold. And she goes, well, it's cold. And it's like, you're absolutely right. Do you want to wait and go tomorrow? That's a great Well, point. I guess. But, I mean, we didn't even pay for this place. Are we going to get arrested? So <laughs> now I'm back to, oh, you're worried about getting arrested. You know what? I think it is paid for. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it mm-hmm. is. Who paid? Well, not you. I think it's gotten paid. It's already covered. Oh, well, good. And that's sort of like, okay. But I don't want to go right back in and start all start right back where we were. I still want to go, tell you what, could you help me a minute? Here, would you wipe this counter for me? And I'm starting to think of things that take, and what we know about human beings when their brain isn't working well is their body needs pressure. Mm-hmm. It needs to do something that's a little heavy-handed. So maybe wiping tables, scrubbing something, sweeping something, running the vacuum, doing something that gives you a sense of push, push, push. Um, pushing outward tends to relieve and release a lot of tension. Um, you can try a massage, which is also another way of, of doing pressure. Um, but it's really important to figure out what soothes this person in that state. Is it a hug? Is it giving them some quiet? Is it giving them music? Is it giving them something to sing or hum or dance to? Um, we've got to be that being willing to be flexible here. Mm-hmm. I can see how that'd be very engaging and, and involving that yeah. involving them in the process. Yeah, and one of the really hard things is for us to look really hard in the mirror and do I have the energy? Is my brain working well enough? And I think sometimes we don't really acknowledge our own vulnerability to like, it's been eight hours already. I don't want to do this right now. And it's like, yeah, so where's your backup plan? Who's your backup plan? 
Um, and all too often, in our current system, we we do one-on-one, and we don't think about, I'm human too, and I need to go someplace else and do something else for a little bit, mm-hmm. um, because I need a break. I just need to breathe and have a break and not have the responsibility, because I'm sundowning as much as they are. <laughs> that is true. So, you know, one of the hardest parts is to recognize I could use somebody else's eyes on this. I could use somebody else's ear on this, somebody else's take on this, because I think I'm at my limit. And I've just, I've had enough and I feel trapped. And and so I do what I know how to do and I feel myself changing. I feel myself using that voice. I, I sense myself feeling overwhelmed and it's like, yeah, that's what sundowning does to the person who cares a lot. I mean, it's a it's a two person phenomenon or a group phenomenon. It's not just one person experiencing it. Um, and we can get in the same cycle the person does, which is oh no 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 let's not go there. Uh, but pulling back is not going to probably change what's happening. That's a great point. I I want to touch on real quickly before we sign off here the support system that the caregiver mm. could use here and how can you call on your support to help you during these moments? Yeah. One is to recognize, is this a pattern that's starting to be daily? And if it's a daily pattern, then I need to send up my, my help signal to say at about this time, I'm going to need some different kind of support. Um, and this is what I want us to try. And to say, if this is happening pretty routinely, then what we're doing in a 24-hour stretch has to change because we can't sustain it. I mean, we're we're getting to a place where more more is what I need, and it's different as well. But it's I can't. It's not a quick fix. It's not a one time. It's not you know. Oh, maybe she's got a urinary tract. I mean, this is a new pattern that I want to adapt to, and it may also be that we need to get some expert opinion in here. And so my support may be. Maybe I need to look at a medical support. Maybe I need to look at a different social support or maybe an environmental support. Or maybe it's really time to take a look at the whole day and see, are we doing too much for too long in the morning and we're running out of gas? Or is it something else? Um, Is the person's pattern shifting or are they missing something in their life? Like the kind of things we're doing isn't, isn't filling their bucket in a healthy way or mine. Um, so it's really important that as we look for support, we we think big on this because this is a phenomena that can really be all-consuming, but it also often signals a bigger picture step back and go, wow, I think it's time for us to investigate what we all need, not just what this person is telling us they need. That's wonderful. Um, Tipa, before we head out today, can you tell us how our listeners can connect with you if they want to learn more about you or how they can pick up Understanding the Changing Brain or learn more about your upcoming book. How can we do that? Yeah, well, we have a website, which is just real simple. It's my name, www.tipasnow.com. Or we also have a presence on Amazon. So if you're curious, you can go on Amazon. And if you put my name in, there's all, all kinds of things that will pop up, including those books. Wonderful. Tipa Snow, founder of Positive Approach to Care and author of Understanding the Changing Brain. Tipa, we love having you on the program because we always 
leave the show with mm-hmm. some wonderful advice and new strategies that are given to us. We always appreciate your perspective and enthusiasm. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for doing what you do because it really does matter. Well, thank you for that. And thank you to Transitions Life Care for their continued support of this program. And it's a, it's a wonderful resource for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. We are out of time for today. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you so much for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.